edition of With All Due Respect. Strong opinions on politics, life, and entertainment. Welcome to this episode of With All Due Respect, the podcast that comes to bury Caesar, not praise him. Greetings, I'm your host, Mark Antony. With me, as always, is my chief collaborator, my co-host with the very most, my William Shakespeare, Mr. Van Sanders. Mr. Sanders, the category today is Pop-Tarts. These delicious breakfast pastries were introduced in 1964. Can you name... The four original flavors of Pop-Tarts. Brown sugar cinnamon, strawberry, blueberry, and apple currant. You are correct, sir. Your knowledge of breakfast pastries is just one of the many things I love about you. As always, we'd like to thank the Anchorage Daily News for hosting this podcast on their platform and remind listeners that the very strong opinions you hear on this podcast are mine and mine alone and in no way, shape, or form represent the opinions of the Anchorage Daily News or their employees. A quick programming note. Next week's episode is a must-listen. We're going to hopefully change the way you think about public education in Alaska. And by the way, This is especially timely, considering last week Mayor Dave Bronson stated his belief in a speech to supporters that education should be taken over by parents and civic leaders. Not parents and teachers, parents and civic leaders. (laughs) I mean, look, I mean, this is a mayor whose approval ratings are so low. Oh, yeah, this is exactly the kind of guy we need influencing education policy. So join us next Thursday when we talk education. Today on With All Due Respect, in local politics, Mayor Dave Bronson is playing budget games and his poor-mouthing of Anchorage to at least one credit ratings agency shows just how far he'll sink to manufacture conflict with the Anchorage Assembly. Let me make this clear, ladies and gentlemen, the Anchorage Assembly is not spending Anchorage into poverty. Meanwhile, Mayor Bronson's revolving door at City Hall continues to swing, Anchorage Police Chief Kenneth McCoy announced his surprise resignation this week and gave no reason for his departure. In state politics, a damning op-ed piece this week in the Anchorage Daily News about Governor Mike Dunleavy's continued misuse of public funds is all the talk this week. Yep, and we're going to add our two cents. Actually, adjusted for inflation, it's more like three cents. In life, last week, a former journalist took to Twitter to talk about journalist salaries. This set off a frenzy of responses which demands a closer look. So the podcast's own former journalista, Maya Nolan Partnow, will add her thoughts on the topic. And finally, in closing comments, we're going to end on a lighthearted but passionate note. Recently, an Illinois woman filed a $5 million lawsuit against Kellogg's Pop-Tart brand, claiming lack of fresh strawberries in their strawberry Pop-Tarts. Listen, this podcast takes two things incredibly serious public policy, and Pop-Tarts. Ladies and gentlemen, as the self-appointed leader of the nation of Pop-Tartia, I will throw down a vigorous defense of the greatest breakfast food since, well, since green eggs and ham. So, would you listen to this podcast in a boat? Would you listen to this podcast with a goat? Would you listen in the rain? 
In the dark or on a train? Excellent. Let's talk some politics. Politics. And now, for some politics. In local politics, Mayor Dave Bronson in yet another attempt to manufacture controversy in time for next spring's Anchorage Assembly elections has taken to bad-mouthing the city he leads. Desperate to portray the Assembly as a bunch of -of out-of-touch, spend-happy liberals, the mayor last week waved around a ratings downgrade from ratings agency S&P, claiming the Assembly was spending the city into danger. The Bronson administration claims city spending has increased 20% over the last four years. Once again, the mayor is claiming a 20% increase in government spending over the last four years. Now, the podcast is a huge baseball fan. So, to coin a baseball phrase, let's all easily turn on this hanging curveball and jack it out of the yard. According to Nolan Clouda, Director for Economic Development at UAA's Business Enterprise. Side note, the podcast is a huge fan of Nolan Clouda. Fan, aren't we a huge fan of Nolan? Oh, totally. His economic data is lit. And, as it just so happens, Clouda is a member of the Municipal Budget Advisory Commission. Oh, wow. So this guy's opinion actually means something. You know, the commission that's responsible for monitoring the city spending and city budget? Well, Clouda tweeted last week that city spending adjusted for inflation has equaled 0.2% over the last four years. Let me repeat myself. Over the last four years, given an earthquake and a pandemic, city spending has increased by 0.2%. That's it. That's a far cry from 20%, ladies and gentlemen. I'm no mathematician, but that's pretty damn clear. In addition, it's clear that Anchorage does not have a spending problem. It has an accounts receivable problem. The city's cash burn from savings is due not to overspending, but it's because the city has not been reimbursed by FEMA for earthquake and pandemic damages. Again, any financial difficulty the city finds itself in is not due to spending. It's because City Hall can't manage their own books. And of course, Bronson also fails to acknowledge the state budget cuts over the last four years have shifted tens of millions of dollars in cost to local government, including $20 million alone last year. But Bronson uses his administration's ineffectiveness to influence S&P, the same ratings agency that told Anchorage they had solid marks just six months ago under previous mayor Austin Quinn Davidson. The fact that Mayor Dave Bronson has manufactured this financial crisis to create a political tempest in a teacup shows exactly what lengths he's willing to take in order to cast blame on the Assembly. This is stunning. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the problem. Outside investors pay attention to this stuff. And it's further complicated by a loss of 13,000 Anchorage residents over the last eight years. How in the world is this city's economy and this city's economic development agencies ever going to grow back if we have a mayor who keeps dragging the city backwards? What the mayor has done is effectively put his foot on the throat of an already struggling economy with outside investments by simply bad-mouthing the city he's supposed to be leading. The city of Anchorage doesn't have a spending problem. A 0.2% increase in spending over the last four years is not a problem. The problem lies in a mayor who's totally fine turning his administration's failures into a credit downgrade of the city he's supposed to be leading. 
I'm telling you, this administration is comprised of liars and frauds. This is an administration where every time you shake their hand, you need to count your fingers after. If Bronson and his revolving door could focus on getting paid by the feds instead of creating manufactured controversy, Anchorage and his fiscal house would be in far better shape. Speaking of revolving doors, this week you can add Anchorage Chief of Police Ken McCoy to the long list of those hitting the exits. Just months after being promoted, Anchorage Police Chief Ken McCoy abruptly, Tuesday night, announced he will retire in February. McCoy didn't provide a reason for the sudden retirement, but said in an online statement that it came after much reflection and thoughtful consideration. Okay, first, this is a huge loss for Anchorage. Ken is a solid, solid guy, a talented officer of 27 years and the first black police chief in APD's 100-year history. So why is Chief McCoy resigning? Why is Anchorage's police chief leaving a position he has invested 27 years of his life to in climbing the ranks? Well, here are a dozen words I was able to obtain from sources within government. Mayoral dictatorship. Extreme compromise. Ethics void at City Hall. Bronboski bullshit. Integrity matters. So while Mayor Bronson says blue lives matter, apparently for the mayor, integrity does not matter when dealing with blue lives. And ladies and gentlemen, I do not want to be the thorn in your liver, but dare I remind you, we are only five months into Bronson's 36-month term. In state politics... Wow, just wow. This week in the Anchorage Daily News, former chief of staff to Governor Bill Walker, Scott Kendall, wrote a scathing piece on how Governor Mike Dunleavy continues to use public money to campaign. You need to read this article. It outlines the governor's clumsy attempts to disguise fundraising as official state business. Here's how it goes. Hey, let's have a cabinet meeting in Kenai. And also, we'll throw a fundraiser that night where my commissioners could be the host. Hey, let's have a cabinet meeting in Fairbanks. Also, we'll throw a fundraiser that night where my commissioners could be the host. You see a pattern of behavior here, ladies and gentlemen? That's not all. From subtly campaigning using government-funded social media to using government-funded lawyers to defend his personal political behavior, Governor Dunleavy is a mess in motion. Now, a little context. Currently, Governor Dunleavy's approval rating sits at 38%. This was his exact approval rating in July of 2019 when Alaskans were beating down the door to sign the recall petition. As we've talked about on this podcast, the COVID outbreak rescued the governor from the recall. However, you know, Dunleavy gotta be Dunleavy, so his approvals dropped back down to 38%, and now he has a challenge from one of his own burn barrel Republicans. He's got pressure mounting all around him. The election for Alaska's new governor is in less than a year. And ladies and gentlemen, here is something I want you to remember. Over the last eight years, we have lost 27,000 18 to 54-year-olds. Allow me to repeat that. Alaska has lost 27,000 18 to 54-year-olds in the last eight years. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved. 
because without a focus on the dramatic outmigration of working Alaskans, we are in danger of becoming, as one top economic development leader told me, a dead-end economy. And now, let's talk about life. Let's talk about life. In life, we read them. We learn from them. And in times of crisis or controversy, we yearn for them. Last week on Twitter, a passionate exchange was started from one single tweet regarding the salaries of journalists. So our own Maya Nolan Partnow, a recovering journalist herself, shares some personal thoughts on this subject. Maya Nolan Partnow. Recently, former Anchorage Daily News reporter Sam Davenport posted a tweet sharing her newsroom salary and encouraging more transparency about pay in journalism. In the days that followed, current and former Alaska journalists on Twitter opened up about their compensation, their frustrating experiences with negotiating, and what they wished they had known about pay at various points in their careers. Related, there's a great show streaming on Peacock called Rutherford Falls. Have you watched it? You should watch it. It's great. I binged it in one night while crocheting an Afghan. And to be clear, I finished the show in one night, not the Afghan. Anyway, there's an episode of Rutherford Falls when one of the characters is asked why he went into journalism. He replies, the money. And after everyone has a good laugh, he adds, yeah, it's sad people know that's funny. Obviously, journalism is not the only comically undercompensated job available to people with baccalaureate degrees. And yes, I'm looking at you, school teachers, nonprofit program coordinators. But it is one of the only underpaid jobs where, in addition to not making enough money, you get to put your name and contact information on every single piece of work you produce. And then not just allow, but invite strangers to share their opinions, valid and otherwise, about how you have done your job. It's kind of like driving a company car with one of those bumper stickers that says, how's my driving with an 800 number to call for feedback, except that the car is a website, the bumper sticker is a comment section, everyone on the road has an opinion on how you're driving, whether or not they've ever seen you behind the wheel, and instead of a phone number to a hotline, there's a direct link to your actual desk, where you personally will read, hear, and decide how or whether to respond to the daily flow of emails, messages, and comments reminding you how much you suck. What's even better? You never get to leave the company car in the garage because when you go to a party, remember parties, or a meeting, or you need to show your ID to buy the edibles that you hope might help you forget all about work for an hour, you are constantly at risk of a stranger recognizing your name and sharing their opinions about you to your face. Well, if it's all that bad, you might be wondering why work in journalism at all. And I can honestly tell you, as someone who got out of journalism and then took a pay cut to get back in... I honestly do not know, except that it's a job that's really challenging in unexpected ways and intellectually stimulating, and yes, important, and someone has to do it. And the same goes for all the underpaid and underappreciated people working in all sides of news, like the folks who make sure your paper gets laid out every day, and the website stays functional, and the ad revenue gets collected, and who all, whether or not they work in the newsroom, find themselves being asked to answer for their employer all the time. And sometimes you get reminders that things could be worse. And sometimes things are worse. Sometimes there are cutbacks and layoffs. Sometimes you might be among those layoffs. And sometimes you might have to decide which of your coworkers will be. Sometimes you might get to sit quietly through a spectacular bankruptcy, wondering if you'll still have a job when the dust settles. 
Sometimes when you're on maternity leave, your boss might crash her plane into the ocean and everyone in the state might find out one of your colleagues has a contract that was written on a cocktail napkin. Hypothetically. Like many of my former news colleagues, I no longer work in journalism because it turns out you can make a more comfortable living with less stress doing a lot of things. But we need good, smart, passionate people working in newsrooms, especially local newsrooms, because, as they say, sunlight is the best disinfectant. So I'm glad to see Alaska journalists talking openly about their salaries. Hopefully the discussion empowers young reporters and editors and people in all lines of work to advocate for themselves, negotiate well, and stay on the job fairly compensated a long, long time. In closing comments, the greatest breakfast food in the history of breakfast foods, Kellogg's Pop-Tarts is under attack. Ladies and gentlemen, to rip off Abraham Lincoln, a house divided against strawberry Pop-Tarts cannot stand. In August, a class action lawsuit was filed by an Illinois resident alleging the brand's marketing is misleading because they give people the impression the fruit filling contains a greater relative and absolute amount of strawberries than it does. Okay, in order to grasp the full context of this attempted travesty of justice, we need a history lesson. Yo, Van. Hit me up with a delicious history lesson, please. A history lesson. The year was 1964, and kids throughout America woke up one morning to hear a product jingle that would change their lives. Four, three, two, one. Pop-Tarts, new from Kellogg's. You can eat them on the run, eat them just for fun, eat them when you have a party. When you want a snack, eat them by the pack, all warm, tasty, good, and hearty. That was 1964. Pop-Tarts burst onto the scene. The name Pop-Tarts was influenced by Andy Warhol's pop art of the era. Three years later, Kellogg's would debut the Frosted Pop-Tart, and the rest was breakfast history. Ladies and gentlemen, for almost 40 years, Pop-Tart sales have increased every year. In 2014, Kellogg sold $331 million worth of Pop-Tarts. Last year, that number was over $800 million. To put this into context, last year, Americans bought the equivalent amount of Pop-Tarts to hand every single American six rectangular pieces of heaven. Side note, if you're not one of those Americans eating six Pop-Tarts a year, yeah, don't worry about it because I totally got you covered. Now, circling back to the frivolous lawsuit claiming Pop-Tarts is misrepresenting itself as containing more strawberries than it actually does. First, at no time, during my five-decade love affair with Pop-Tarts, was I ever under the impression that I was consuming Pop-Tarts for the fruit content. This is a brand who recently introduced flavors such as A&W Root Beer, Jolly Ranchers, and S'mores. This is Kellogg's, ladies and gentlemen, the maker of delicious, delicious, but sugar-laden breakfast cereals. Second, Pop-Tarts are sold in the convenient breakfast aisle. Nothing about this section of the convenient breakfast aisle is healthy. Hell, even the granola in this section is covered with chocolate. The convenient breakfast aisle, well, it's like fast food. 
It does not convey it's a healthy option. It conveys it's a convenient option and convenient for a reason. And that's because it's predominantly preservatives, which thus allows Pop-Tarts to be convenient and gloriously delicious. Now, putting aside almost 60 years of marketing and product placement, there is no source like the original source. So your host just meandered to the pantry And lo and behold, there is a box of strawberry Pop-Tarts. Okay, so is Kellogg's Pop-Tarts mislabeling its strawberry Pop-Tarts? Look, I'm no lawyer, but there is nothing on this box that misrepresents exactly what is contained in this delicious breakfast pastry. Here are the main ingredients directly on the box and clearly listed. Enriched flour, corn syrup, high fructose corn syrup, dextrose, soybean and palm oil, and of course, refined sugar. Now, here is the money phrase that inevitably Kellogg's lawyers will point to on the packaging label. And by the way, this is in bold lettering. Contains less than 2% of dried strawberries, dried pears, and dried apples. Less than 2% fruit in a strawberry Pop-Tart, and it's in clearly labeled bold lettering. Once again, you are shopping in the convenient breakfast aisle. This ain't the produce section. And if that's not enough, it's publicly known that Pop-Tarts are not a healthy option. A few years ago, Healthline, a website dedicated to maintaining good health, named the unhealthiest 15 junk foods in America. And the number one unhealthiest junk food in America is Pop-Tarts. Stating, quote, despite their convenience, Pop-Tarts contain highly processed ingredients, including soybean oil and refined flour. Plus, they are loaded with three types of sugar, refined white sugar, corn syrup, and high fructose corn syrup. However, it is this host's opinion that Kellogg's Pop-Tarts has never marketed themselves as anything other than a delicious, albeit sugary, and wonderfully filled pastry. Now, if you will please excuse your host, I hear a strawberry Pop-Tart with butter on it calling my name from the microwave. There is the music, ladies and gentlemen, and unfortunately, you know what that means. Our time has come to an end. Remember, our podcasts are new every Thursday. Please subscribe on your favorite platform or catch us every week on the Anchorage Daily News website. Van, how about throwing us your website details? Yes, that would be abodabobrand.com, A-B-O-D-A-B-O-B-R-A-N-D.com. If you go to abodabobrand.com, you can see uh, some of my work. You can reach out to me. And uh, maybe we could put a, a podcast together. Or maybe we could uh, make some weird art. Whatever you want to do. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, listen next week on education. That is our time today, and we thank you for yours. <laughs>